us. Okay, so we're going to pick it up from Daf Yud Gimel Amid Aleph up to the Mishnah. Today's Daf is a little bit more tricky, so we're going to take it slow to understand it properly. There's two things you have to remember uh, before we begin the next Gemara, before we begin the next Mishnah, and that's going to come up. Over the last couple Dafim, we've had a couple Machloksim that are sort of floating around. One Machlokas was if you marry a woman thinking she's a Basula and she isn't, does she forfeit her ksuba entirely as a mekachtos, or does she still get the ksuba of a baula? That's one machlokas. Another machlokas that's also going to be relevant now is if a woman is a mukas eitz, which means she got injured in that part of the body, so she's she's not a basula, but she was never with a person, and the husband was not aware of that, and then he he marries her thinking she's a basula, and then he finds out she's a mukas eitz. Does she get a ksuba of Full basula, meaning a full psula ksuba of two hundred, or just a baula, just a one hundred ksuba. That those are the two shilas that are going to become uh, relevant in today's gemara. All right, let's start. Let's start the mishnah. The mishnah says like this: the mishnah is dealing with the following um, situation. You have a, a a woman who marries a man, and she's not a basula. The machlokus in the mishnah is the woman and the man are arguing what happened. So the Mishnah says, he omeris mukas eitzani. She says, I'm not a basula, but I was a mukas eitz. From before, before we, we met, I was a mukas eitz. And he says, no, I believe that you uh, had a boyfriend before we met. So I believe that you're a baula. And she says, no, I'm still a basula, I'm just a mukas eitz. Okay. Now, the Gemara is going to analyze how much money are they asking for. This is obviously a monetary argument. They're trying to figure out she wants more money than he's willing to give her. So she claims that she's a Mukas Eitz. He claims that you're a Baula. The two choices are, you either say that a Mukas Eitz gets 200 and she's asking for 200, and a Baula gets 100, and so she's asking for 200, he's asking for 100, or you believe that if you find out she's a Mukas Eitz, you get 100, and... So she wants 100, and he's claiming you're a baula, which means you get zero. So it's either 200 and 100, or 100 and zero. Those are obviously, if they're both asking for 100, there's no argument. So obviously they're asking for different amounts. She's asking for more. So the Gemara is going to say, it's a machlokis. Is she asking for 200 and 100, or 100 and zero? Okay, fine. So you have this argument of, of what happens. So the, the same opinions keep on coming up. Rav Gamliel, Rav Elazar, Armim Nehmenes. Rav Gamliel and Rav Elazar agree with the woman because as we said yesterday, she's a bari. She's 100% confident in her claim because she knows her body. So they go with her. And Rav Yeshua says no. Anytime you're dealing with finances, it's the burden of proof is on the woman because she's trying to take the money from the man. So they say that she is not believed. Okay, so there's a machlokas of what happened, and there's a machlokas who we paskin like. So now the Gemara asks a question. The Gemara says, Tayantai b'mai. How much money are they asking for? Again, she claims she's a drushasish. She's a mukasetz. He says, no, you're a baula. Again, he didn't know any of this before they met, before they got married. So this is all, you know, a shocker to him. So... He's either finding out she's a mukasetz or she or he's finding out she's a bula. So she's asking for more money than he's at, than he's willing to give. So the question is, how much are they asking for? So it's a machlokas. Rav Yochanan says 200 and 100, meaning Rav Yochanan feels two things. He feels that when a woman claims to be a mukasetz, she is still a basula, 
so she gets 200. So she's saying, I'm a full basula. I'm just a mukasets. I had an injury in that part of the body, but I was never with a man, so I get 200. And he says, no, you're a baula. And Rav Yochanan feels that if you marry a woman thinking she's a basula and you find that she's a baula, you get 100. So she's asking for 200. He's willing to give 100. That's the machlokas. Rav Lozer has a much more extreme view. He says, bimana v'loklum. Rav Lozer says, no. He feels, Rav Lozer feels, also two opinions. He feels that if you find out she's a mukasets, she only gets 100. So she's asking for 100. He's saying, no, you're a baula. And Rav Lazar feels that if you marry a woman thinking she's a basula and you find that she's a bula, you get zero. She gets zero. So according to Rav Yochanan, they're asking for 200 and 100. Rav Lazar is saying, no, they're asking for 100 and zero. Now the Gemara speaks out what I just said. Rav Yochanan, Man, Rav Yochanan says that it's 200 and 100. Why? Meir. He follows the viewpoint of Rav Meir. As I mentioned before we started the Gemara, we had, I think yesterday or the day before, a machlokas between Rav Meir and the Rabbanon. If you find that a woman's a mukas eights, you thought she was a basula, and you find out she had an injury in that part of the body, or surgery in that part of the body, so she's she was never with a man, but she's not technically a basula. Rav Meir says you get she still gets 200. That's what Rav Yochanan is going with. So he's saying it's 200 and 100, because Rav Yochanan follows Rav Meir. Rav Meir, the Omar, Bain Hikerba, Bain Lo Hikerba, Masayim. Rav Yochanan feels that whether you go, whether she he's aware that she's a Mukas Eitz or not, she gets 200. Rav Lazar said no. She's claiming for one hundred. Why? Because he follows the Rabbanon Shita. Rav Lazar Omer of Klum. Rav Lazar says no. That he actually follows the opinion of the Rabbanon that if you find that a woman's a mukaset, she only gets one hundred. So she's asking for one hundred. Savar la Rabbanon dami bein hikerba bein lo hikerba man. Okay. So Rav Yochanan is following Rav Meir. Rav Lazar is following the Rabbanon. Now the Gemara asks a very simple question, which is that if you have a choice to follow Rav Meir or the Rabbanon, you would always choose the Rabbanon, because the Halacha always follows with the Rabbanon. So why does Rav Yochanan follow Rav Meir? Why doesn't he go with the interpretation of Rav Eliezer, which is to follow the Rabbanon? Bishlom, Rav Lozer, Lokam, Rav Yochanan. I understand why Rav Lozer does not interpret the Mishnah like Rav Yochanan, to Kamuki Lok Rabbanon, because Rav Lozer is interpreting the Mishnah like the Rabbanon, not like Rav Meir. And that always, if you have a choice to follow Rabbanon or Rav Meir, you always go with the Rabbanon, because Halachi Karabin. Ella Rav Yochanan, my time in Leomak Rav Lozer. The question is, why did Rav Yochanan not interpret the Mishnah like Rav Lozer? Again, Rav Lozer interprets the Mishnah that she's claiming she's a Mukazetz, which means she's asking for 100. So why doesn't Rav Yochanan follow that way? So the answer is, I'll tell you why Rav Yochanan cannot interpret it, the Mishnah like the Rabbana. The Mishnah, again, what's the Rabbanan Shita? The Rabbanan Shita is that when she claims to be a Mukasit, she gets 100. 100 mana, 100 zuz. The ksuva of a, of a widow. That's great. The problem is, what is he claiming? He's claiming, no, you're a bu'ula. What does Rav Yochanan hold about that? Rav Yochanan has, this is a separate shayla. Rav Yochanan feels that if you marry a woman thinking she's a basula, and then you find out she's a bu'ula, she gets a ksuva of 100. So Rav Yochanan cannot interpret the Mishnah like the Rabbanan, because if you interpret the Mishnah like the Rabbanan, that means that she's claiming she gets 100, and he's claiming she gets 100. That obviously doesn't work. So you sort of have to work it backwards. Once you realize that Rav Yochanan feels that when he claims that she's a Ba'ula, she gets nothing, then obviously 
if he claims she gets, I'm sorry, that if he, Rav Yochanan holds that when she claims she's a Ba'ula, she gets 100. Once you know that, then you have to interpret her claim asking for 200. Because if they're both asking for the same amount, it's not a, a disagreement. So once you work, you have to sort of work it backwards. So it's not like, again, there's two parts to the Mishnah. There's her claim and his claim. Her claim is that she's a Mukas Eitz and he wasn't aware of that. That's a Machlokas, whether she should get 200 or 100. So we're saying, well, why go with 200 like Rameh or go with 100 like the Rabbonin? The answer is it's not so simple that way because you have to then look at his claim. His claim is that, no, you're a Ba'ula. Rav Yochanan feels that if a man claims she's a Ba'ula when, she, when he didn't know that, she gets 100. Once you know that he's willing to give her 100, then by definition, she's asking for more. So therefore, Rav Yochanan is forced to interpret the Mishnah like the Rabbanon, like Rav Meir, that when you claim, when you find out she's a Mukaseit, she gets 200. Hence, he's willing to give her 100, she wants 200. Okay. Now, the Gemara says like this, Again, there's two components to our Mishnah. That's the main point to realize. There's there's his claim and her claim. And each one is its own independent shaila. Her claim is the shaila of, you thought she was a basula and you found out she's a mukas eitz. How much money does she get? His claim, his shaila is, I thought she was a basula and I found out she's a baula, because from his perspective, that's what's taking place. How much does she get? And we said... It's a machlogus of Yochan Rav Lezer. What's the interpretation of the Mishnah? Now the Gemara says like this. The Gemara says, Bishloma l'Rav Lezer haynu diktani tarti chada lafuke midrav Rami bar Chama v'chada lafuke midrav Chia bar Avin. Am Rav Sheshes. Rav Lezer has two chidushim in Rav Lezer's interpretation. Again, Rav Lezer interprets the Mishnah being that he's willing to give her one hundred, and she's. She's, I'm sorry, that he, she's asking for 100, he wants to give her nothing. That's Rav Lozer's interpretation. Now that involves two chidushim. One chidush is that if you, a woman claims to be a mukas eitz and you thought she was a basula, she only gets 100. And number two is that if the man claims she's a baula and he thought she was a basula, she gets zero. So the Gemara says like this, we have two Mishnayis back to back. Yesterday's Mishnah and today's Mishnah. Yesterday's Mishnah was, you marry a woman, you find out she's not a Basula, and the Machlokas is what happened. He says, she says she was violated after marriage, and he says, no, you were always a Baula. Then you have today's Mishnah, which is incredibly similar, where again, you marry a woman claiming she's a Basula, finding out she's not a Basula, and the argument is what happens. So she claims she's a Mukas Eitz, he claims that you're a Baula. Very similar, and it's and it's the same opinions, Rav Gamliel against Rav, Rav, Rav Elazar and Rav Yeshua. And the Gemara wants to know, why do you need both Mishnayis? So the Gemara says, according to Rav Elazar, it makes sense, because Rav Elazar has two chidushim. One is that if a man claims that she's a Baula, and she, meaning if he thought she was a Basula and she turns out to be Baula, she gets nothing. That's one, that's one Mishnah. And the second chiddush is that if a woman says she's a Mukas Eitz and he didn't realize that, she only gets 100. That's two chidushim. Hence, two Mishnayis teaching you both chidushim. The first Mishnah teaching you that if a man finds out that she's a Baula and he thought she was a Basula, she gets nothing, because that's the uh, yesterday's Mishnah with the claim of Rav Yeshua. And then you have today's Mishnah, which teaches you the Mukas Eitz halacha. So according to Rav Lazar, it makes sense why you have two Mishnayis. One to teach you yesterday's Chiddush, one to teach you the Chiddush of the halacha of a Baula, and one to teach you the Chiddush of a Mukas Eitz. The Gemara says, though, 
But according to Rav Yochanan, Rav Yochanan is really only making one chiddush because he's saying a mukaseitz gets the same amount of money. His only chiddush is that if a woman claims to be a besula and he claims you're a baula and he finds out she's a baula, then he she only gets one hundred. That that's only one chiddush. Why do you need two mishnayos? So the answer is again. Because each Mishnah is repeating the same thing, which is there's a claim the woman wants more money than the man. She makes a definitive claim, but he's holding on to the money. Rav Gamliel says you side with the woman in both Mishnayis. Rav Yeshua says we side with the man in both Mishnayis. And the question is, why do you need both Mishnayis? So the Gemara says, You need both. Why? Each one is reinforcing each one's opinion. Again, both Mishnayis are teaching you the same thing, which is, in both Mishnayis, she's making a claim that's definitive and she wants more money. He's making a claim that's not as definitive, but he's the one holding on to the money. So do you go with her because she's a bari, or do you go with him because he's the Hamotzi Mechaver Varaya? In both cases, Rav Gamliel sides with her. In both cases, Rav Yeshua sides with him. The Gemara says you need both. Why? The first Mishnah is a bigger Chiddush. Why? Because in the first Mishnah, if you remember yesterday, we said she had a Migu. What did she claim in yesterday's Mishnah? She claimed that she was not a Basula, but she was violated after marriage. She could have just as easily said that she's a Mukas Eitz. Because she could have said that and she didn't, it makes her claim more, more reliable. The Chiddush of yesterday's Mishnah is that even though she has a Migu and her claim is incredibly reliable, because she, if she wanted to lie, she could have said something else. So therefore, we believe her claim pretty, pretty highly. However, still, Rabbi Yeshua says, we side with the man. That's yesterday's Mishnah. And today's Chiddush is that Rav Gamliel sides with her even if there is no Migu. So yesterday have a Migu and we still side and still Rav Yeshua has his opinion and today without a Migu still Rav Gamliel says his opinion. That's why you need both Mishnayas. Okay. Now we're starting a new Sugya. This Sugya is going to take us to the end of the Daf. And that is if you find out a woman was acting inappropriately, and we'll define what does it mean inappropriately. Let's go extreme. You find out she lived with someone. She, you find out she, she entered a room with a man, and she lived with that man. There are witnesses. The question is, do we believe her when she claims he was Jewish? Regarding, you know, because if, if he was a non-Jew, or if he was a mamzer, she's now disqualified from kahuna. Do we believe her and say, listen, She's probably telling the truth. She know who was with she was with. Or do we say no? Once a woman is is willing to be promiscuous and to live with a man outside of marriage, who's to say that she knows or even cares about whether he's Pasla Kahuna? Same question if she becomes pregnant. If a woman, if you find out a woman became pregnant, and then she says, Listen, I know who the father is, do we believe her? Or do we say, Listen, if you're willing to become pregnant outside of marriage, do you really even know or care who the father is? That's the machlokis in this coming Mishnah. The Mishnah says, midaberes im echod. You see a woman talking with a man. Now, I'll just I'll spoil this. What does it mean speaking to a man? If a woman speaks to him in the street, what's so inappropriate? So it's either two explanations. One opinion is that she secluded with a man to talk to him. So she secluded with a man. Not that we know that she did anything wrong. Not that we know that she lived with that man. 
but she's secluded. So once she's willing to do the Isra of Yichud, um, we assume that she was intimate with him. Or, so Midaberes could be Yichud, or Midaberes could actually be a euphemism as we know that she was intimate with this man, we know she had relations with this man, and Midaberes is just a Lashon Nakia, it's just a nicer way of saying it. But either way, you see a woman acting inappropriately with a man, which leads us to think they were together. So we asked the woman, who is this guy? Because, again, if he's a non-Jew, she's Pasla Kahuna. If, if, she, if, if, he's a, if he's a Mamzer, then that could also create problems. That she's also Pasla Kahuna. So we ask her, who is this man? Ishploni who She says, I know this guy, he's a Kohen, meaning totally legit. We just did Navera, or we acted inappropriately. We either did Yichud, or we were together. But... He's he's a kosher guy, so I'm still kosher lekahuna. Rav Gamliel, Rav Lazar, Again, Rav Gamliel says we believe the woman because she's making a definitive claim, and she's still kosher lekahuna. Rav Yeshua, Omer, Rav Yeshua says no. Loy mepia anu chayim el areze b'cheskes bul in a sinul mamzer shetav yulad Rav Yeshua says no. Once she's willing to act inappropriately, all bets are off, and therefore we assume that this man was a mamzer or a nesin or a guy. And she's Pasla Kahuna until she could prove who this man is. I guess she brings him into court and he has to testify. That's the first case where it was either they just did Yichud or they lived together at Samachlokas. Now it's an even stronger case. Haisem Uberes. This case now is she pregnant. So we know that they were together. And now she has to A, prove that now we know, so it's not like speculative. Also, she's got this baby. We have to find out who the, who's the baby's father. Meaning, is this baby? And not that we could ever know who the father is, but is this baby puzzle for Kahuna? Is this baby a mamzer? Is this baby, uh, you know, someone whose father's a guy? So you find that a woman's pregnant outside of marriage. They say, who's the father? So he she says, he's from the father was you know Chaim something. He's a Kohen. The kid's kosher. Not that the kid is a Kohen. If the kid's a boy, obviously he's not a Kohen, but he's kosher. Rav Gamliel, Rav Elazar, Oman, Amenis. Again, Rav Gamliel say we believe the woman, because she's making a definitive claim. Rav Yeshua says, no, once she's willing to become pregnant outside of marriage, we don't believe her. Rather, we assume that this child's father was a mamzer or an asin until she could prove it. Two cases. First one is Midaberes, the second one is pregnant. Now the Gemara asks, My Midaberes, what does it mean that she spoke to this guy? Again, something triggered that we assume that she was intimate with this guy outside of marriage. And it says, the Lush of the Mishnah is Midaberes. She spoke to him. What does speaking to him do? So if two, a man and a woman speak in the street, we assume they were together? Of course not. So the Gemara says it's a machlokas. Zairi Amar Nistara. Zairi says it means that they secluded, meaning... We don't actually know what happened, but we know that they secluded. Once we know they secluded, we assume they were intimate. And then once we assume they're intimate, we assume that he was uh, someone who's Pasla Kahuna. Rav Asi says, no, they actually live together. Meaning it's not enough to seclude. We actually have to see them living together. Witnesses have to see them uh, doing the act of, uh, uh, act of intimacy. So the Tamachlokas of what the Mishnah's case is. Either is it Meyached or is it Bia? So Bishlomel is Ziri, the Gemara says, I understand why according to Ziri, who says that they secluded, all we know is they secluded, that's why it says they spoke, because 
I mean, technically, it's all we know they did. We know they went into a room together. We know they were probably talking. We don't know that they were intimate, but we're assuming it. But that's why it's a lush and a midaberis. Eloravasi, my midaberis. But according to Ravasi, where we know they live together, why does it say Medaberis? It should say Nivola. It should say they were intimate. So the answer is Lishna Malyanoka. It's you're right, this is what Medaberis means. It's a euphemism. It's just trying to speak in a nicer way. How do I know this? The Pasuk describes intimacy in a way of eating. Meaning the Pasuk likes to, to talk about it in a nice way. Okay. So you have a machlokas of what happened in this Mishnah. It, did she just speak to the man, or did she actually live with the man? Do we know that she lived with him? So the Gemara says, Bishlom al-Ziri. I understand, according to Ziri, that they just spoke together, meaning they were miyached, tarti. So according to Ziri, the Mishnah makes sense. There's an evolution. The first case of the Mishnah is where she secluded with the man, and we assume there's intimacy, so there's a machlokas, Rav Gamliel and Rav Yeshua, whether we believe the woman. Then the second case of the Mishnah is where she's pregnant, so we know there's intimacy. So the first one is assumed, and then building up to knowing. But according to Rav Asi, that the first case is living together. So in the first case, they live together. So what does the second case add? So she's pregnant. Well, what's the difference? In the first case, they live together. The second case, she lived together. What's the difference? In the first case, they're witnesses. The second case, she's pregnant. It's all the same thing. Why does the Mishnah repeat itself? The Gemara says, According to Ravasi, why do you need both cases? Why do you need the first case where we knew that she lived with a guy out of marriage? The second case, she's pregnant out of marriage. What's the difference? The answer is, The answer is, the two cases are working differently. I mean, the first case, she lived with someone, and she has to testify about herself. We have to make, she's testifying to defend herself, that she is kasha kahuna, that she didn't live with someone who's like a mamzer. The second case is when she's pregnant, she's not just defending herself, she's defending the baby. She's testifying that the baby is still kosher. So the evolution in the Mishnah is the first case, she's testifying about herself, that she's still kashal kuna, and the second case is she's testifying about the baby. So therefore, in the first, in the second case of the Mishnah where she's pregnant, she's not just, when it says that according to her Gamliel, she's believed, it doesn't just mean she's believed for herself, she's believed and her baby is also believed, meaning she's kashal kuna and her baby's kashal kuna. Okay, that's the evolution. Now the Gemara says, but wait a minute. The problem is, in the next Ahmed, we're going to have a Machlokas. According to one opinion, even when she is believed, we do not believe her regarding the baby. Which is a weird thing, but we believe her that she's Kashal Kahuna, but we actually believe that the baby is Pasal Kahuna. Now how could that be? Because if you believe her, that means that she lived with someone who's kosher, that means the baby by definition is kosher. The difference is... She has a chazaka, that she's kashal kuna. Every woman that starts off kosher, starts off kosher. This baby doesn't have a chazaka yet. So there's one opinion that holds that even if we believe her, so you have a woman who's pregnant, and we ask her, who, who, who's the father? And she says, oh, it's a certain rabbi, kosher guy. We just didn't have error, but certain rabbi, kosher. So according to one opinion, we believe her, that she's kosher, but her baby's not kosher. So according to that, how could you interpret the Mishnah as saying the second case of the Mishnah is testifying about the baby, that the baby is kosher. I thought, according to one opinion, only she's kosher, not the baby. So the answer is, The answer is, you're right. Rav Asi, who said that the second case of the Mishnah, 
is by pregnancy. In the second case of the Mishnah is regarding the baby. Ravasi feels that the baby is kosher, meaning that opinion that we're going to have in a, on the second Amit, that the baby is not kosher, does not go along with Ravasi. Okay. Now, the main thing to remember is the first case of the Mishnah. A woman did something, did blank, and it triggered us thinking that she was intimate with a man, and Rav Gamliel says she's believed to say the man was kosher, Rav Yeshua says she's not, and she's Puzzle Kahuna. Again, what happened? So Ravasi says they actually lived together. We have witnesses that they lived together. Rav Ziri says, no, they were just did yichud. Now the Gemara is going to ask on this. This is what we're going to be dealing with to the end of the Amid, is basically dealing with Ziri's opinion as opposed to Ravasi. Again, Ziri feels that they were just miyachi together, and that triggered our assumption that they lived together. And Ravasi says, no, uh, they actually lived together. Yichud is not enough. Now the Gemara says, Here's the question. According to Rabbi Yeshua in our Mishnah, a woman is not believed. Meaning, once we assume that she was intimate, she's Pasal Kahuna, we don't believe her to say who she was with. Now, again, what happens? So, according to Ziri, she did Yichud. So, you have a single guy and a single girl do Yichud. According to Ziri, that triggers our assumption that they were intimate. And according to Rabbi Yeshua, she is Pasal Kahuna. We don't believe her. Now here's the question. The question is, when does Yichud do that? We know in the Sugi of Sota, a married woman, if a married woman secludes, her marriage is not over. It's over if, in addition to secluding, she was warned. But if you just have a married woman does seclusion, does Yichud, that won't end the marriage. Why over here are we super strict that she's Pasal Kahuna just because of Yichud? Since when do we assume? Since when does Yichud equal intimacy? Yichud is an Avera. It means that we assumed it's possible. But since when? Why would Ziri be so machmer to say that according to Yeshua, once a woman secludes, she's Pasal? But why? Since when do we Pasal a woman just based on Yichud? The answer is, Maila The answer is, we're not going to end the marriage based on Yichud. But for the laws of kahuna, once a woman is miyachid with a man, regarding kahuna, she puzzle kahuna, according to this opinion. We don't pass in this way, I don't believe. But, yeah, we don't pass in this way, but but it's possible that she's puzzle kahuna. I, since when are we so strict for yichud? The answer is for kahuna, the laws of kahuna, we're super machmer. Maila also be which means that we're super strict when it comes to yuchsen, when it comes to, uh, you know, being worthy of marrying a kayan. We're very, very strict, and Yichud alone is enough to, to cancel it. Okay, let's continue. We're about to finish the first Amid. It's a tough, it's a tiring daf. The, the, again, the Machlokis is what happened. Did she just seclude, or do we know that she was intimate? The second case is that she's pregnant. Definitely lived with someone. You can't become pregnant without living with someone. The first case is where she's Midaberas. So that either means we have witnesses that they live together, or she just secluded. Machlok is Ziri and Ravasi, and we're going to ask on this. The Gemara says, Meisve, I have a question. The Braise says like this, You have a man and woman that enter a, a private area together. That's Yichud. Go to the next page. Or they entered a ruin. So they either entered a private room, or a ruin, R-U-I-N. So these two cases. So we assume intimacy happened. So we ask the woman, who is this guy? So she says, She says, he's my cousin and he's a Kohen. 
Rav Gamliel, Rav Elazar, Omer, Menes. Again, it's the same opinions. Rav Gamliel said she's believed. Rav Yeshua, Omer, Loim, Pionu, Chaim, Lariz, Bechaz, Zbul, and Asin, Lamab, Zeshitav, Rav Yeshua. Rav Yeshua says she's not believed. So you have these two cases. You have entering a private room and entering a ruin. Now, why do you need both cases? They're both saying the exact same thing. One's a room and one's a ruin. What's the difference? So, Bishalom, Zeiri, again, according to Zeiri, these halachas apply just based on Yichud. So then I understand why you need two cases. One is a case of Yichud. One is a case of Yichud. And one is a case of intimacy. I understand that. Meaning, according to Zi'iri, it makes a lot of sense. Because according to Zi'iri, when it says in the Mishnah that we assume something bad happened, that's based on Yichud alone. So therefore, Bishlam and Zi'iri, according to Zi'iri, I understand why. Haimtanitarti. That's why you have two cases, l'seser or l'churva. You have two cases. I mean, the first case is just merely yichud. The second case is where we know they were intimate. That's why you have both cases. And one's a bigger chiddush than the other. But according to Rav Asi, yichud is not enough. We actually have to have witnesses that they were living together. That means both cases are the exact same case. Entering the ruin and entering a private room are both the exact same case. They are witnesses that they were, that they were intimate. Once I know that they are intimate... Why does it matter? Why do you need both cases? Why do you need one case where they're entering a ruin and one case where you're entering a room together? They both do the exact same thing. According to Ziri, where the first case is Yichud, so the first case is Yichud, the second case is Bia. Okay, so it's an evolution. But according to Ravasi, both cases are Bia. What do you need both cases for? The Gemara says, Ravasi, Tarti So the answer is Chodakatani. Really, it's one case. When it says a ruin, a ruin and a room, it's actually one case. It means a, a private ruin. So it's one case. So the Gemara says, But it says, It says, A ruin or a room. Not a ruin room. A ruin or a room. It's two different cases. The answer is, you're right. You know what the answer is? Again, according to Rav Asi, the cases where we know that she was intimate with a man, she, we know that she lived with a guy outside of marriage, and she claims the guy's kosher. Rav Gamliel says we believe her, Rav Yeshua says we don't. This Bryce has two cases, and we ask, why would you need two cases if she's intimate with someone? What does it matter where? The answer is, one place is where she was intimate inside a city, and one place is where she was intimate in the fields. Why does it matter? I'll tell you why. A city, we assume the man was from that city. If that city is Jewish, so if you live with someone in the city, I would assume... You go with Rove, and Rove of the members of the city are Jewish. So she probably lived with a Jewish man. If she lived with someone at a truck stop, where you're dealing with people that are traveling, then you go with the population of the world, and the population of the world is not Jewish. The reason why I need both cases is to tell you that whether she lived with someone in the city, and the city is Jewish, whether she lived with someone in a truck stop, which is dealing with travelers, and travelers are not Jewish, it does not matter. According, in both cases, Rev Gamliel says she's believed, and in both cases, Rev Yeshua says she's not believed. That's why you need both cases. Okay. One more last Gemara. This last Mishnah, this last Bryce is going to prove 
Again, we're trying to prove whether the case of the Mishnah, where it says that she spoke, is that seclusion or is that intimacy? Like Ziri or Ravasi? So the Brisa says like this, Mesve. The Brisa says, Zu edus sha'isha k'sherila. Rav Gamliel feels that she's believed. So Rav Gamliel says, this is an example where a woman is believed. Rav Yeshua, ain't a menace. Rav Yeshua says, no, she's not believed. That's what the Brisa says. Then the Gemara says, the Brisa says, Amr Rav Yeshua, Rav Yeshua says, again, Rav Yeshua says she's not believed. So Rav Yeshua says that if you have a woman who's who's lives with a man, and she says, oh, he's kosher, we don't believe him. So says Rav Yeshua, I'll prove it to you. Rav Yeshua says, if you have a woman who was taken captive, we know she was taken captive, and she says, I, I never lived with anybody, I'm kosher. What's the halacha? We don't believe her. Because we assume that when a woman is taken captive, we assume that she was with the captors who are not Jewish. Yeah? I thought I learned somewhere that if she comes back, Saying that she was captured, then we do believe her. But these are this is you're right. But this is a case where there are witnesses that she was captured, so it's okay. not that she's the one claiming it. There are so, witnesses. That's a good point. That's a good point. So the one that I'm safe thinking about is the one where there's no witnesses. She comes voluntarily Correct. and says it. Correct. Got it. Okay. So this case, the the, the the Gemara specifically says that there are witnesses. So there are witnesses come and say that she's taken captive. What's the halacha? No matter what she says, we don't believe her. So says Rabbi Yeshua, you see, we don't believe the woman. So what's the difference between a case where a woman lives with someone or she's taken captive? In both cases, we know something bad happened and we don't believe her. That's Rav Yeshua's uh, source. How did the Gemara respond? Amrulai, Avol, they said, yeah, we agree by the case of a captive. So Rav Yeshua said, So they said, what's the, so Rav Yeshua said to them, what's the difference? He says, The difference is, in the case where in the case where, uh, in the case of being captive, we know that she was taken captive. So we know that something bad happened. Over here, we don't know anything bad happened. All we know, Rashi says, In the case of a captive, we know that she was taken captive by witnesses. Witnesses attest to it. So we know, and Taken captive was the equivalent of being violated. So we know that she lived with someone. But Lazu Enedim, in this case, there are no witnesses that she lived with someone. Look at Rashi. Shenivala, Shaleru We only saw them seclude together. We, we don't know that anything bad happened. So you're already making assumptions. No, we're not going to assume anything. We're going to listen to her words. Pause right there. So right there, you already see that the case that they're arguing is where she's just secluding and not actually live with someone, right? We had a machlokas, what's the machlokas about? Ziri says, it's a case where they just secluded, and Ravasi says, no, they actually live together. Their arguments themselves clearly indicate that we don't know that they live together. Gramliel's whole point, Rabbi Yeshua, is that every case is not comparable to a woman in seclusion, because a woman in seclusion, we know that a woman who's taken captive, we know that she lived with someone over here, we don't know. Now, so by the way, so right off the point, right here, you could stop. Ravasi is rejected. Let me just clarify. Ravasi feels the entire case of our mission and Gemara is where we know they're intimate. Over here, Rav Yeshua said, I don't believe the woman. Why? Because every time a woman's taken captive, we don't believe her. So Rav Gamaliel says, yeah, because when she's taken captive, we know that they live together. But we don't know. They were just talking. They just secluded themselves. We don't know anything bad happened. So you see that Ravasi is rejected because according to Ravasi, we do know they live together. 
Okay, let's just keep going. So, Rav Gamliel says, the reason why we believe a woman and it's not comparable to a taken captive is because captive, there's witnesses that they live together. Over here, there is no witnesses. We just know they secluded. Then, oh, Amr Lehem, so Yeshua says, okay, so you're telling me the reason why you're lenient is because you don't know anything bad happened. And all you know is that they secluded. I got you. What about the second case where she's pregnant? She walks in pregnant. How could you say we don't know anything bad happened? She's pregnant. Amr Lehem, what about the case where she's pregnant? So why over there are you lenient and you listen to her? If she's pregnant, you know that she was intimate. So that, the Gemara says, is a very good caution. Now, how does Rav Gamliel respond to that? Why is he lenient when she's pregnant, when she know, when you know when she's pregnant, that means they were intimate? So Amr Lai, they said, Now these words don't make sense. They say, Rav Gamliel responded, Most non-Jews are prutzim. I don't know, that has nothing to do with what we've said. Amr Lahen ain't apotropis and he said, there's no apotropis laraias, meaning you can't trust, trust yourself when it comes to sexual morality. Also doesn't make sense. And all of this is regarding the woman herself, but the baby is a shtuki. Now, these last three lines do not work well with the back and forth, so there's something missing here, and the Gemara is going to fill in the blanks. The Gemara says, My kamerlu, my kamahadrile. What did they say and what was the response? There's something missing here. Again, the, the flow is, is, is as follows. Rav Yeshua feels we don't believe her. Rav Gumliel says we do. Rav Yeshua says, I'll prove to you we don't believe her because every time a woman's taken captive, we assume that she lived with people and we don't trust her. So Rav Gumliel says, yeah, because in the case of taking captive, we know that she's intimate with someone because that's just the statistical probability. Over here, she just secluded. We don't know anything bad happened. Rav Yeshua says, but what about the case where she's pregnant? <laughs> and she's pregnant... We know that she lives with someone, and still you're lenient. Now, what was the response to that? Now, the Gemara says, So this is Rav Gamliel's response. So Rav Gamliel says, okay, you're making a good point about a pregnant case. You're right. Pregnant, you're making a little bit more sense. In a case where she's pregnant, we should be more inclined to not believe her, because we know that she did not bear her. But what about every case with a woman who secludes? Meaning, they argue about both cases. They argue with the woman who secludes, where Rabbi Yeshua assumes that she lives with someone and assumes there was a guy. And they argue in the case of pregnancy. Now, pregnancy, I get, Rav Gamliel says, I get where you're coming from. But what about the first case? So, Rabbi Yeshua says, I look at a woman who secludes as the same thing as a woman taken captive. In both cases, I assume the worst. To that, Rav Gamliel says, no, in the case of a woman taken captive, you could assume that she lived with someone because the captors are not Jewish, and most non-Jewish captors are disgusting. So you assume that they live with someone. Heim Amrulay. Hanami, so how does Rav, but what about every time a man and woman seclude together, why do you assume anything bad happened? To that, Rav Yeshua says, Once a man and woman, even if they're Jewish and from, from, you know, whatever, air quotes, once they're secluding together, you can't trust themselves around their eyes. That's the general line that a lot of Rabbanim have whenever like a scandal comes out. And they say, how could that Rav do that thing? So it's, you can't trust yourself. Fine. What do you see, though? You see from this entire back and forth that it's clear as day. The Rav Gamliel and Rav Yishor are arguing in a scenario where we do not know that they lived with someone. Rav Yeshua compares every seclusion to a captive, 
And Rav Gamliel says, no, a captive, I know they live together. When in this case, where they just secluded, I don't know. But what you do see, they argue in a case of just seclusion, like Ziiri, not like Ravasi, because according to Ravasi, they don't argue in a case of seclusion. They argue in a case where you know they were intimate. According to Ravasi, this entire Gemara doesn't make sense. Because according to Ravasi, what's Rav Gamliel's argument? Rav Gamliel's argument to Rav Yeshua, why are you being so strict? I don't know that anything bad happened. And Rav Yeshua's like, ah, they, if they secluded, they probably did something wrong, like a captive. Well, according to Ravasi, seclusion alone is not enough. You actually have the witnesses that they live together. So then if that's the case, the entire back and forth doesn't make sense. So the Gemara says, Ketani mi'as tarati, midaberis muberis, tiyufta Ravasi, tiyufta. Ravasi is rejected. Now, the Gemara just says that typically the Hasam Rav Psul Metzla, the Hachal Rav Ksher Metzla. The Gemara just has one question, which is I get where Rav Yeshua is coming from. He's saying that you see from a case of a, a captive that we assume bad stuff happens. So to every time a man and woman seclude together, we assume bad stuff happens. I get it. But in the case of a captive, the majority of captives, captors, were not Jewish. So you go with majority. When you have a guy and girl secluding together in a from community, the majority of men are Jewish. So why, even if Yeshua is right that he takes the more pessimistic view that we assume something bad happens, I get it, but why don't you just go with numbers and go with that, that in both cases, you assume that it's the majority and the majority of guy and girl, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend in, in a, in a, in a, a from area is going to be Jewish and the majority of captors are not Jewish. So why, why don't you say that? So the Gemara answers, I'm Rabbi Yochanan, I'm sorry, the Gemara says, The answer is, Rav Gamliel and Rav Yeshua do not care about Rov. If they feel, if Rav Yeshua, Rav Yeshua feels that we assume something bad happened, it could be the majority of people in that town are kosher. I'm going to assume that it's with someone who's puzzled. And if you feel that, that, that you don't assume anything bad happened, then even if the majority of the people around are Goyim, you're going to be bleeding it. Meaning, Rav Gamliel and Rav Yishu do not go with Rov. They go with, do I assume something bad happened? According to Rav Gamliel, no. And therefore, even if it's a majority Goyim, I'll be bleeding it. According to Rav Yeshua, I assume something bad happened, and even if the majority of people are Jewish in B'nai Brak, I'm going to assume it's a Goy. Now, the Gemara just ends off with this. Am Rav Yochanan, this is the Machlokas we had, we referenced in the previous Ahmed, which is that Rav Gamliel and Rav Yishu are arguing in a case where a woman is 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 intimate, Do we uh, is she believed to say that the guy is kosher? The question is, is she believed regarding her baby? Meaning, she's believed, according to Rav Gamliel, that she lived with a Jewish man. Does that extend to her baby as well? Does that baby also stay kosher l'kuhun, or do we say no? She's believed regarding her. She's not believed regarding her baby. So Rav Yochanan says, Rav Yochanan says, if we believe her, we believe regarding the baby as well. If we don't believe her, we don't believe regarding the baby. Meaning he, she and the baby, according to Rav Yochanan, are in the same boat. We either believe both, or both are puzzled. Rav Yochanan says, no, everyone agrees the baby is puzzled. Why? What's the reason? We believe her because in addition to her testimony, she has what's called cheskas kashus, which means she was raised from, her family was known to be kosher, she had a chazaka, she had a status quo of being kosher until this episode happened. So we go with her status quo. Bita, um, but the baby never had status quo because we've never decided the 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 lineage of the baby, and therefore the baby does not have a status quo to rely on. 
Now, so we're saying it's a machlokas, is the baby kosher. Here's the problem, Eisve, that b'risa ended off like this. Rav Lozer, Rav Yochanan, The b'risa ended off by saying that everyone agrees the baby is a shtuki. Shtuki meaning puzzle. Shtuki means we don't know who the father is. So this is a kasha on Rav Yochanan. Rav Yochanan says that according to Rav Gamliel, the baby is also kosher, but the b'risa ended off by saying that everyone agrees the baby is a shtuki, meaning... The baby's puzzle. So how does that work with Rabbi Yochanan? The answer is we had this before. My lab shtuki, a puzzle is shtuki kosher. Shtuki generally means puzzle, but shtuki could actually mean kosher. How so? Shtuki just means we don't know who the father is. Now generally that implies that the baby is puzzle. But if you remember, we had a concept that if you have ten kohanim in a room, one of them goes and impregnates a woman, we don't know who it is, definitely know they're kosher. There's no question and it's a Kohen, because there was no other man available. The halacha is, the baby cannot serve in the Beis HaMikdash. The baby boy cannot serve. Why? Because there's a special law of Kahuna, that to serve in the Beis HaMikdash and to have all the laws of Kahuna, you have to know who the father is, Zaro Acharov. That's an example of a Shtuki, and he's kosher. So generally, Shtuki means we don't know who the father is, meaning we assume guy. The answer is no. The baby is kosher. So what does it mean, Shtuki? It means... That if this that if if she claims the father's a kayan, while we believe her regarding the baby, the baby's kosher, the baby cannot serve in the base Hamikdash. Because it's a shtuki that the father is it's we know that it's a kosher person, but because we don't know who it is, the baby is a technicality cannot serve in the base Hamikdash. So when it says shtuki, it doesn't mean shtuki and puzzle. It just means shtuki and is disqualified from serving the base of English from doing the kahuna elements because we don't know who the father is. Let me just see it inside the one with this. The Gemara says, Kiddushmuel, as Shmuel says, Dhamr Shmuel, Asara Kohanim Omdim, Upir Shachamemu Bal, if you have ten Kohanim and one of them left a room and impregnated a woman, Havalat Shtuki, the baby is a Shtuki. Now the Gemara says, My Shtuki, Ilim Shimashatkinosam, Nechseyav, what does it mean Shtuki? Shtuki means quiet. Now, usually quiet because we don't know who the father is. Like, they can't claim who the father is. So he says, if it means that, that the baby can't get inheritance because it doesn't know who the father is, of course. Pshita, of course, the can't, baby can't claim ten inheritance because you don't know who the father is. Rather, it means shtuki, means that the baby cannot serve in the Beisamikdash. There's a special halacha for regarding kahuna that it only can serve in the Beisamikdash if you know who the father is. So when it says in the Braisa that the baby's a shtuki, it doesn't mean the baby's puzzle. It means the baby is kosher, but it cannot serve in the Beisamikdash. If she claims it's a code. Alright, we'll stop here.